Welcome to the Building PA Podcast, the voice of the construction industry throughout Pennsylvania. Here are your co-hosts, Chris Martin and John O'Brien. Hello, and welcome to the Building PA Podcast. I am co-host John O'Brien, coming to you from America's pickle capital of the country here, good old Dillsburg, Pennsylvania, joined as always by fellow co-host Chris Martin. Chris, what's going on today, man? Hi, John. How are you? And I am very jealous that I am not in the pickle capital of the United States and lovely downtown Dillsburg with you. I am in little village of Sewickley outside of Pittsburgh and happy to be here today with you on the Building PA podcast as always. And hi, everyone. I'm Chris Martin. I am president of Atlas Marketing and we tell stories for companies that build things. We're going to learn a lot more about that today, right, John? We are absolutely, absolutely. But you're, but you're. Before we get too far into that, the pickle fact of the day here is Dillsburg drops a pickle on New Year's Eve. So it's awesome. Mark your calendar, save the date, Chris. I hope you will be here to visit. So I will save you a spot in the guest room. So absolutely, I can do that, and I look forward to seeing that glorious pickle drop yes, on absolutely. New Year's Eve. It's fantastic. All right, so we could talk all day. About we could say so much point. about that too. <laughs> I'm nervous that's a topic now because that wasn't what I was briefed on. <laughs> oh, you didn't know you're supposed to talk about Dillsburg? Uh, about know. pickles. Yeah, no, no clue. No clue. No, of course not. So we have Carrie Smith. She's the editor of the St. Louis Construction News and Review. And she is a you know freelance writer. She's a construction writer. She's an expert in media relations. And that's why you're on the show. And you're going to enlighten us and talk about what makes a good story and the interview process. And I'm excited. This is going to be awesome. This is a topic Chris and I both love. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Awesome to have you here and see you now for all you YouTube fans out there. Everyone can see you while you throw down some logic and give us some wisdom. So good stuff. <laughs> I'll at least do one of two. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> Why don't That's we start right at the, the right beginning? Yeah, who is yeah. Carrie Smith? Boy, I tell you, Carrie Smith is a serial entrepreneur. And I was at a, a class last night to prepare entrepreneurs for a pitch contest. And I said I was a serial entrepreneur and they wanted to know what breakfast cereal I invented. <laughs> so I don't know that term is really out there with the young set. But anyway, they're very disappointed to know that I've never gotten a patent for cereal. So anyway, but I like to think that I just really enjoy innovating new ways to write and frankly, to participate in the industry that's changed so much from the newspaper days. So yeah, I just call what I do the golden corral of writing. I have different clients and I kind of go down, the, yeah. go down, you know, the buffet and just have the pleasure of writing everything from news publication content to website to ghost writing, you know, an article for a busy architect or whomever they could put their name on it to now podcasts. So it's just a pleasure to be here. I'm just one of those people that write around my living room table rather than in corporate America. It just resonates with me. So, but uh, yeah, I'm thrilled and a little bit nervous to be on the other side because I'm a professional question asker, not answerer. You're doing great. And I see a theme here with cereal and buffet and it's time for lunch. So <laughs> and pickles. Keep moving. And, pickles. <laughs> yeah, and pickles, exactly. It all comes together under food. 
Carrie, you as a journalist, and and I know your background because we've spoken prior to this and have had good conversations around podcasting and magazine publications. Because we're you know, in addition to the podcast, we have the Keystone Contractor magazine as well. But can you tell us a little bit of how you've seen the industry start to change from you know from that journalistic perspective? Sure. I think part of that answer, I appreciate that question, Chris. It's a great one. Part of that answer is seeing editorial change from seeing what's happened to the other side of the page to advertising revenue. And I think, you know, someone innocently switches a full page print ad to a, you know, an e-newsletter ad and you see the revenue go from $2,000 to 50 or something, you know, just to see our industry go, oh my gosh, you know, should we hold on to print? Is in niche markets, is digital still, you know, going to be king, I'm sure. But just figuring out how you can do that successfully. And I feel like everybody from the Wall Street Journal to our publication, St. Louis Construction News, is, you know, still figuring that out, you know. So that I feel like that part of it has affected editorial because we've lost a lot of really good people in the newsroom per se. Yeah. And what and to take that one step further, then what does that mean for the contractors, the architects, the engineers, the supply chain as it relates to construction that you've seen as a result of those that big impact? Sure. I think um, another great question that's you know, they have to be telling their own stories because nobody is calling them. There's no kind of, you know, very few business reporters. I think the Post-Dispatch, they maybe have a part-time person. So there's nobody calling an individual company. I should say that. Then there's our construction magazine, our staff of two. <laughs> We're calling them and they're really excited to, to take our call. But it's there's very few, you know, full-time construction I think reporters, at least on the regional level. So I think it's incumbent on contractors and owners and, you know, everyone that touches the built environment to really be creating their own content, which they don't have time to do because they don't have enough people. And it's still fortunately a really, you know, hustly bustling industry as far as construction. So that's, I think, the double-edged sword. There aren't enough people to tell really intriguing stories because people are so focused on just getting the project built. I would totally agree with that. And it's a struggle internally for us, you know, newspaper publication, as you say, you know, they don't have a lot of local coverage, which I totally agree, you know, in the Pennsylvania markets, kind of limited with the business and real estate writers. But when they do approach me or call me and say, we have a story on X, you know, we do you have anyone that could talk about it? And it's a struggle. I have to call five, six people before I can get any construction professional to talk. And, you know, I'll give some sound bites and some quotes or whatever, but it's tough. Do you have any advice as far as the interviewee? I know they're busy, like you said, building projects, but yeah, as, as far as advice or the positives, you know, if you could elaborate on that, that'd be awesome. I mean, you really hit on it, John. I think it's, you know, the in most cases when I'm trying to find somebody, and you're exactly right. Engineering Records, one of my clients, and they'll say, here's the theme, here's the topic, here's the due date. You know, good luck. God bless. And you don't have any sources. You've got to find them. And if it's an area of the country that I'm not familiar with, that's how I got connected with Chris. And he was like my saving grace because I was writing about projects in Pennsylvania. And I'm my clients are in St. Louis and I live in Indianapolis. So I had nothing on finding people. So I think if, you know, usually the first point of contact is generally the marketing director at these construction firms. And that poor person, that's usually my client. That's who I have an opportunity to write for because they would love to be 
writing content and messaging and connecting people with sources, but they're getting a submittal out the door. Like they're not even doing what maybe they were hired to do. Or to me, it's like two parts of the brain. They're doing the graphic design and getting everybody's numbers together because it's due tonight. And so that's the person that is wearing my journalist hat that I'm trying and you're trying to connect with, and they're not available either. So I think a lot of good stories go by the wayside because there's not a point of contact. And I will say companies that have invest in that and have PR firms, I've got about probably six people on my cell phone that I know I can call that are the outside agency that are really good and they can find that person or they can speak for them within a deadline. But that's, yeah, that's becoming more and more of a struggle. It is, yeah. yeah. I like it too. Shameless. See, I told you, Carrie, I told you I'd interrupt them. So I apologize. You're going to do a shameless plug, I'm going to guess. You said shameless. I I was actually, yeah, since you set it up, I was going to say, I wonder if there's somebody in Pennsylvania that could do that for (laughs) contractors and architects and engineers. Hmm, Who could that be? I bet there is. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget about your local associations too, as well. You know, that's so true. <laughs> yep. right. No, I was going to say two, two yeah. Millersville grads right there with that communications degree. There you go. There you go. Now I was going to add too, as far as this just happened last week, so this is fresh in my mind. You know, finally find an executive that wants to do the interview, and you know, I said, "Here's our press release on the topic," and he's like, "All right, yeah, yeah, I'll talk to him." And then I get the call afterwards, and he goes, "Hey, just so you know, I didn't really agree with the findings of your survey, whatever." So I talked, you know, and didn't really go in line with the association. And and my opinion is, you know, no news is bad news, you know. So you got your name in there, we got our name in there, and we talked about why that was a good thing or whatever. But but do you have any other advice as far as prepping interviewees besides you know giving the, them talking points? <laughs> the part that just and it shouldn't irritate me because I understand where people are coming from. But it's when they want a list of the exact questions you're going to ask. Yeah. And that's just, I totally like if I'm wearing the PR agency hat for a client, I get why the PR person is asking for their client or the company because they don't want me to throw many curveballs. But if I'm doing a story on like underground, you know, piers and drilling shafts or whatever, I don't know anything about that. My first question would be like, hey, what is this? And then I don't know what my second question is. (laughs) And I've done that, you know, where I have had enough beyond a topsoil knowledge of it where I've done like eight questions. And then I've had a source say, you know, I mean, to me, the best question is based on your answer to the first one. But I've had people just hold me hostage to that list that weren't wasn't very good that I gave them my best guess of questions. And I feel like that kind of stilts how good the story is going to be. So I would say just, you know, if you have to ask for questions and that's everybody's, they got to have questions, maybe let me send you two, but just be prepared. If I'm calling about a project, you know what you did on the project, you know what's interesting. I mean, you know, help us out a little bit, those of us that are on the outside and don't make it difficult for us to tell a good story for you. Does Is that fair, Chris, or am I too jaded? <laughs> No, no, I think it's, I mean, with our clients, we always tell, you know, like they ask, well, what are they going to ask? So in that instance, typically I'll call Carrie up and I'll say, hey, Carrie, give me an idea of what you're looking for. And then I'll share that with a client and say, okay, here's, these aren't the exact questions because she doesn't understand, you know, she doesn't know exactly what she's going to ask, but she wants to know about the project. She wants to know about you know, what were some challenges she wants to know? So help them through that. But I agree with you. I think you're absolutely correct. I mean, asking for those specific questions and recognizing that's the only thing that the reporter or, or the interviewee or interviewer, I should say, is going to ask. I mean, it's just like this podcast. We're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to ask you next. 
I'm sure John is the same way. I mean, and so we're building off of that rapport that comes. And I think a lot of the times people get so nervous because, oh, I'm going to talk to Carrie and she's a reporter or John's a reporter and I don't want him to know all the bad things. And I'm afraid that I'm going to talk about those things. Well, no, you have control. Yeah. And it's, it's like when we start to talk about media training and message training, you know, the very first thing is you own the information. And I think that's really important for people to get, regardless of, you know, any industry. It's you own the information. So take control of it and share that and go from there. So I'm just adding on to that. I hope I'm not trying to go too far away, but I think that's a great question, though. Yeah. As far as, you know, getting responses and those types of things, I think, Carrie, you mentioned earlier, you know, the marketing manager for a contract is also the proposal manager and is also the, you know, the everybody wears so many different hats within the construction industry. What do you see as some of the ways that contractors, architects, engineers can overcome that challenge, multiple roles and multiple responsibilities as it relates to telling the story? I think we just well, lost Chris. It. Well, Chris, let me give you my opinion. <laughs> now, we, first time in the show's history, we lost our guest here. So, um, yeah. I apologize. Carrie, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the, the marketing director hat, wearing different hats, whether it's marketing the company or, you know, writing proposals and managing that process, because you're right, they are two separate trains of thought and entities. But from your perspective, what advice could you give to contractors, architects, engineers, anyone within the built environment, as you call it, as you said, what could they do to help kind of alleviate those hurdles that they put in, their, in place for themselves? Sure, that's a great question. And I think just wearing my reporter's hat, an editor hat, I think the biggest thing is kind of an easy one. It's just make yourself accessible. So if you're putting out a news release, don't put just your, especially nowadays, post-pandemic, you know, who knows where anybody's working um, and at what phone number. So put your mobile number on if you're the contact. You know, I wouldn't put the CEO's mobile number, but the person who's going to set up that interview, make sure you're accessible and then make sure you answer it and make sure you're just available after hours. Cause I think a lot of us are working, you know, bizarro hours. And uh, so being accessible, number two, I would say if it's a really, really big project, say we're talking about construction projects and it's a new hospital or aquarium or something, I think well-meaning contractors, I'm not saying this is a bad idea, but they'll have media days where they'll invite all the reporters to one event, give you one tour, and that's fine, but a lot of us don't like that for a monthly publication because we know the whole story is going to be on channel whatever, you know, three hours later on TV. And so I'd rather have a chance to gather my own version of the story and write my own project. And so if there's a way to be accessible and to give a journalist a one-on-one -on -one interview, I know that's more time consuming than having your you know, project manager available for a one-day tour, but I'd sure rather ask different questions and get different information and have my story that's <laughs> going to be out the latest of anybody's probably two months later or whatever, that it's a chance to do a unique job. And I think the collateral that's produced by that gives the, you know, the company can use that on their website and their social media, and they don't get like the same end product too, when you do it that way. Right. Hmm. 
Sounds good. So for those in uh, YouTube land, you're looking at us as you're listening to this great interview here. And it's great visuals. You guys both look amazing today here. Good stuff here. But staying along those lines here, as far as visuals go, any sort of advice for construction companies when it comes to, you know, picture, if a reporter requests a picture or, the, you know, you talked about social media, any sort of video advice or picture advice, if that if those requested at all. Absolutely. I would say this has gotten easier for us to ask and easier for contractors to comply in the drone world now. So there's a lot of great still photography and video that can be furnished on construction projects. So I would say kind of assume that the really good companies that are on the ball that I interview just offer that and, you know, give us a Google Drive or Dropbox link to videos, photos, whatever we might need at all different resolutions, you know, so they can be reproduced. But I think that's a wonderful thing. I mentioned earlier, I'm in Indianapolis and I'm writing about projects in St. Louis. So, you know, if I don't have to drive over there and take kind of a, you know, kind of a crappy photo or video Mm -hmm. on my iPhone, if you can send me the stuff you want me to use, it seems like people are doing that anyway to document projects. So Mm -hmm. that's been a really great thing. Even if it's not something we can publish like video, it really helps the reporter to see what you've talked about and understand it. I think a lot of times on you know, layouts of buildings and stuff. If you can kind of follow up with that journalist afterwards and send us what you were talking about, or if they're better at multitasking than me, you could show us during the interview. But I know I always like to have those supplemental visuals. And then for us to be sure that we ask you who took those, are there any copyright restrictions? You know, always reminding myself of that, that we, you know, was it the architecture firm? Was it you who did it? So, but yeah, I think the drone world has just allowed construction companies not even to do, you know, something they weren't doing anyway, but to leverage that and help us tell a better story. It's interesting, too, what you said there in terms of asking for copyright, because I think a lot of the times people don't realize that, oh, well, the architect sent it to me. Well, Mm -hmm. they need to be, you know, either get attribution or at least give that. And I think that's a really good point that I think a lot of the times, you know, especially if contractors or marketing folks are dealing directly with a reporter, it's that's something that has to be really covered off. Uh, Great feedback. Chris is deep in thought here. Hang on, people. I I didn't (laughs) want to cough into the recording. Sorry. Oh, Oh, it just was dramatic. It was was dramatic. He's bringing the thunder. He's bringing the best (laughs) question of all time. Here it comes. I know I won't know the answer. (laughs) Now it's going to be like, so from a marketing perspective, or not even a marketing perspective, I think that back, a reporting perspective, what do you think makes a good story? I'm glad you asked that because I jotted a few notes down and I promise not to monopolize this part, but I jotted down five really quick things and I'll whip through them in lightning speed if that's okay. So I think what makes a compelling story, one, and again, we're talking about construction. I always ask about the project delivery and that doesn't sound too sexy. Like, was it, are you a general contractor? Was it design, build, whatever. But when people talk through how they're completing the project, then I can kind of make notes on additional sources. Like, should I talk to the architect? Should I talk to, you know, a specialty sub that did something really cool, you know? So, so I think project delivery is good. I ask about any unique materials or raw materials or prefabricated stuff that's cool. And 
that's been kind of unintentionally loaded questions since the whole supply chain debacle, because sometimes what comes out of that is people have been, contractors have been super creative and they know it's like a 60 week, you know, wait on a product and they'll just like re-engineer it and come up with something else. Like if they can't get steel joists or whatever it is, I've had some good stories that I didn't know were going to be there on what they did or how they you know came up with another way to get the project done that didn't involve that supply. So, so raw materials, any unique design or construction for sure, any unique challenges. We talked about that before that they stayed on schedule, but they had to, you know, really rethink how they were, were doing the project. And in the last one, I always, I don't know how to call it a bullet point, but I do the, this may not be interesting, but you may want to know like part of the interview. And it's always the most interesting. It's because oh, yeah. I think, you know, people who build or design things think, oh, you know, we do this all the time. Whenever we talk about things we do, we think it's not very remarkable, you know, and but one quick example I had was I was doing a story on, there was a nearly $300 million complete renovation of the St. Louis Gateway Arch Grounds back in 2018 and um, was a multi-year project and asked him all the questions I should have. And I was on the phone with a landscape architect. And at the end, he just said, you know, this may not be of interest at all, but he said, because it was a national park ground, the Jefferson Memorial, we couldn't bring excavation equipment. We couldn't bring the normal equipment we would bring on to, you know, to prepare the ground and for to landscape it, to aerate it. So he said, and this really matter of fact, he said, so we planted over 400,000 radishes and we let the tap roots grow into the ground two feet and poke holes oh, wow. to aerate the soil. And he was just like, I don't know if that's interesting. And I'm like, <laughs> I'd have to be in a coma not to think that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so it's always that I think if, you know, it's somebody at the end, usually that I, you know, always make sure I ask, is there anything else that I haven't asked you again, that list of questions, man, that never would have been on my list. Yeah, I would, Who would I have would thought agree radishes. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I know, right? Maybe pickles could, you know. There you go. There you go. It all comes back to pickles. <laughs> yeah, but that I thought was just fascinating, and and two, I think just if you have time, don't just always interview the architect and the contractor. Certainly, they're important players, but those poor, neglected, like structural engineers, people that do fascinating things. And Chris could speak to this. I'm sure there may be more of a ramp up with them trusting you and media relations. I mean, come because a lot of times people don't call those people because it's not something you can see that they did, but it's like a critical piece of the puzzle. Yeah, that's yeah, that's always my favorite part of my... Yeah, they get overlooked. And my favorite part of my tour, whenever I tour construction projects, it's like the, the architect or the GC will start the tour. And as you're walking around, they start pointing out, you know, the challenges. And then you hear about whatever sub, you know, solve the challenge of the day or whatever. And that's the best part of the tour is to hear those stories. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Good stuff here. Good. I didn't mean to jump on you, Chris. Were you about to ask something or? No, I, I yeah. can say the same thing to you. And I think we say this like every episode, how, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah. We always talk <laughs> over each other, but yeah, it, it works, you know. It does. Um, but moving forward, Terry, can you tell us what are some trends that you're seeing in the industry itself? Like what are some radishes or something that we would never have thought <laughs> to talk about in terms of aeration? But what is it? You know, you mentioned drones. I know John and I've talked about BIM so much. And are there things that you're seeing that are, you know, what's next? And where can where can our listeners start to move that story direction? Sure. Well, you mentioned some great issues with drones and with, I think, cybersecurity. It's a concern for everybody. But I talked to a lady last week who's like head of a cybersecurity law firm that guards data, not just for construction firms, but others. So that certainly as construction 
continues to, with BIM and with remote workforces and just the critical nature and the proprietary nature of the information that's shared, just how that needs to be protected. So I think not that that hasn't been an issue, but continues to be one. And I think this whole prefabrication in conjunction too with maybe robotics, but just the the complexity of what is being being made and certainly the effort to bring more of that, reshore that and bring it back to the United States. So we're not either waiting for container ships to unload yeah. in harbors to get it or we're dependent on, you know, other countries for that production. So I think those are issues. Project wise, I think the big data centers and the pharmaceutical, there's some other really you know, hot industries I and mean, advanced manufacturing. But I think those are certainly builds that I always want to ask about in the electric vehicle and EV battery mm-hmm. manufacturing facilities. And no one really wants to talk a lot about, it's like <laughs> big pharma. They don't want to talk about the details of the facility or the build because it's, you know, it's somewhat proprietary, but those are the right. ones I'm always fascinated with the magnitude of billions of dollars of parks of, mm-hmm. you know, big data centers. Yeah, pretty amazing yeah. too. Yeah, for sure. So I see in your bio here, 23 years in the construction writing. Awesome stuff. Good stuff here. And for a large portion of that 23 years, you know, there's been workforce challenges and workforce development issues, whatever. How has that story evolved and how is it moving forward? How is that story told? You know, this is a a great question because about two hours ago today, I did an interview with the head of our carpenters union in St. Louis, and they cover Missouri, parts of Iowa, and Kansas and Illinois, but he was talking about the innovative things they're doing. You know, they used to have, he said that the day of the standing six feet behind a table at a job fair at a high school is so long gone and he's Mm -hmm. super innovative. And so he was talking about how they are regularly going into schools and talking with as young as second and third graders Mm -hmm. about construction. And he talked about how they're rethinking how working with, you know, high school instructors to rethink like trigonometry and calculus and to how they can be teaching those in a way that means something to someone on a job site. He was much more eloquent about it, but just how they're reaching younger audiences, they're going into churches and other places to replace that antiquated trade fair or job fair. They're talking to uh, people about, you know, who in your community or sphere is looking for work. They're going into prisons. They've got programs for people getting out of prison that they can train to be apprentice carpenters. And so that was just really, you know, who they're recruiting. They're going down to cities like Nashville, where it's mostly non-union, and they're they're approaching job sites and talking to Hispanic workforces about what unions can offer them. And so I asked him, where are you going? You're not like going on to somebody's job site, are you? He goes, well, yeah, absolutely. That's where they are. But, <laughs> but so I feel like, you know, that's Carpenters is one example, but just the innovativeness to reach more people, more minorities and younger, a yeah. younger set. I would agree. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, Carrie, I want to thank you on behalf of John and myself for joining us today and a really, really great conversation. And I'm, I'm certain that we're going to be talking with you in the future just because you're so easy to talk with and it just goes with great information. John and Chris, that thank is, you. It was just been a pleasure. I really, how could anyone not enjoy talking to you about pickles or other topics? So Pickles, you. job fairs, you know, Absolutely. Hispanic workforce. We covered it all today. So we got it. We tried. <laughs> <laughs> thank we're, you. We're Thank you for joining the Building PA Podcast. To stay up to date, follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and visit buildingpapodcast.com to subscribe to upcoming shows. 
Thanks for listening.